Capture Podcast surveys the creative, socio-cultural and political concerns of local and international artists and designers. The podcast series is a collaboration between RMIT and the National Gallery of Victoria. As conditions in the real world shift, I believe that we as artists, as creatives, need to adapt our creative strategies and in, in relation to what's going on in the world. In all of our first world western countries, we're very good at uh, being able to switch on and off our compassion. In a way, it, it does do away with some of that beautiful ambiguity of um, contemporary art, but I think that our world is in such a crisis. Hi, and welcome to Capture Podcast. This is Daniel. American social scholar Bill Moyer codifies the activist into four modes. There's the citizen the rebel, social change agent, and the reformer. In this episode, we talk to artists Candy Spritz, Ben Quilty, and Gabrielle DiVietri, who, through their art and their actions, ignite consciousness and debate around the ongoing suffering of displaced peoples. Candy Spritz is a South African artist who works primarily in video and photography. Her work has often explored popular culture and looks at socio-political happenings around the world. Britz's piece is based on six personal narratives of individuals who have fled their countries. Their stories have been told by Hollywood stars Julianne Moore and Alec Baldwin. My story is not about pity or sadness. It's not about how difficult my life has been. Everyone in the world must know the way I was before when I was young. Maybe it's good that everyone will hear this story and say thank God for everything they have because maybe right now some people are warm in their homes with the Syrian people and the Iraqi people and people from Afghanistan. All these refugees are cold in the street and we're sitting in our homes just watching TV. You must listen to my whole story and tell everybody, the children, the old people, everybody, Tell my story to everyone in the world. Um, right now, the global crisis of displacement is one of the most significant uh, socio-political challenges that we face, and it's a global challenge. More people have been displaced in the world at this moment in time than ever uh, since 1945, and we all know what happened uh, at that moment in history. When when the war started, we we was like so shocked because because it was there's war in Libya and Egypt and we was were watch, watching TV and and we never believe that one day it will happen in Syria it's so bad for us because we lost a lot we lost we lost our, a lot of friends house at the first time that i get here in germany Everyone say, please swear for us that you are a refugee. You wear Nike, you have phone, you, you do your hair, you have jewelries. Are you, are you joking that you are a refugee? So I stop and say, why do you think that all the refugees don't have money? Each of us um, within our specific geographical context is facing a number of challenges of a social, social and political nature, but we share wherever we are, whoever we are, we should share a concern around people who are forced to leave their countries, to leave everything that they have, to leave comfort, to leave family 
for uh, reasons that are not of their making and not within their control. This topic was central to NGV's triennial program. However, it sparked protests leading up to the gallery's removal of their security firm, who were also contracted to the Manus Island Detention Centre. Well, I see the stance that I've taken. I can't speak on behalf of the other artists, but I see it as a gesture of solidarity with the National Gallery of Victoria. I know through my conversations with this gallery that uh, all of the people I've been uh, in conversation with themselves are deeply concerned about issues of displacement. And obviously, uh, the triennial features forced displacement as one of its central concerns and themes. And we all know how things work. At present, Wilson is a temporary security contractor. I can imagine, it's an educated guess, I can imagine that Wilson is putting in a bid to become the permanent security contractor. And I hope that some of the gestures that have been made by artists and, of course, by protesters, the wonderful protest that was staged last night by the Artists' Committee, I hope that those will be helpful to the National Gallery of Victoria in making the right decision regarding who their permanent security contractor will be. This is a museum I care about. It's a museum that's been very generous to me. It's a museum that enabled me and allowed me to make the work that I'm showing here now. And this work will live in the permanent collection of the National Gallery of Victoria. And therefore, I'm invested in in having my work reside in an institution that is not in partnership with private partners who have, without doubt, committed human rights abuses. But along with Brits, Australian painter Ben Quilty has often been positioned as a social commentator. But aren't all artists social commentators to a degree? Well, let's hear from Ben Quilty on creative activism. Look, I, I think Richard Moss is a social commentator. I think Candace Bretz is a social commentator. They're all social commentators. But in most of the rest of the world, artists are just accepted that you're a social commentator. In Australia, I've always felt that we're not really meant to be saying too much as artists. We're meant to be kept in our place. Recently, there was a demonstration at the Sydney Biennale about the, about. Uh, sponsorship that was coming from from detention centre, people that manage detention centres. And the Prime Minister came out and said, how dare you artists have anything to say as though we should stay in the museum and shut up and make work about it. Um, But sadly for the Prime Minister, it's a democracy and I can say what the fuck I want to say and I will continue to do that. Um, And I think all good artists really are commentators. I think making, creating art is is activism by its very nature. I guess for me as, as a painter, I think painting should one of its primary concerns is beauty and if, if, if it is a beautiful object that can tell a much darker story then, then it's, it's a clever tricky way of engaging with an audience who might not otherwise want to be confronted with the ugly truth and I think in all of our first world western countries we're very good at uh, being able to switch on and off our compassion Quilty's 2016 piece, High Tide Mark, simply illustrates a life jacket worn by a young refugee. Whilst on Lesbos, on the shoreline, Quilty saw a beach littered with orange life jackets. They were discarded by Syrian asylum seekers after their arrival from Turkey. The work comments on this 
and the broader concern of those displaced by war. Um, so the painting is beautiful, the surface is very beautiful, the colour is a very expensive pigment, um, but then the story behind that life jacket, remembering that it's oversized, the little, little person wore this jacket that was this size, um, that I hope that, that it, it encourages people to consider that the jacket's empty, but that it, that it is the form of a small human being who's six years old. I, I think the, the cleverest paintings have, have a level of sophistication and this, that painting to me feels sort of unsophisticated but it's about a child and someone carried that little child with them across that water and in a way it felt like the painting needed to respond in that just most simplistic way using the best of my abilities just to recreate this thing that saved, I hope, saved that child's life. Well, as an Australian, we have a pretty atrocious record of human rights going back over 200 years. And, and what's happening right now in our name uh, is a continuation. I mean, it's funny, I, I read an article recently about the shock that people feel for the way we're detaining people, Manus and Nauru, the way we treat people coming here, the way we dehumanise people. We're, we're, we're good at it. Um, and I'm ashamed of it, and most artists in Australia are responding to that crisis in one way or another. Next, we catch up with Melbourne artist Gabrielle de Vietri, whose work illuminates and argues social issues both locally and globally. She runs a collaborative, experimental project called A Centre for Everything, which comprises of various socially engaged events and workshops, and is also a part of a group known as the Artists' Committee, This group is made up of an informal association of artists across multiple disciplines working around the intersection of money, ethics and culture. The way that we figure out where the line is, is social. And I think without those social connections, we don't really have a compass. Like, we can't orient ourselves ethically. So that's why things like symposia, like collectives, are so important in being able to figure out who we are as, a, as an art community and as a, and as a community of people. Um, you've got politically engaged work, which is kind of, I guess, work that might represent or reflect the state of the world or, or an issue. And then I think you've got politically active work, which actually seeks to incite or enact change. And that's the kind of work that I've become really interested in. It's, it's really embodied, it's collective work, and in a way it, it does do away with some of that beautiful ambiguity of um, contemporary art. But I think that our world is in such a crisis that in a way I have no choice but to follow that path. So we shrouded Picasso's Weeping Woman as a reference to the cover-ups that Wilson Security has made of their abuses on Manus Island and Nauru. And the fact that this image, which is an image of universal human suffering, this woman weeping the loss of her children and the tearing apart of her family, is watched over by the same eyes, by the same company that commits these horrific acts elsewhere. In a later intervention, we blocked the entrance to the gallery at at its peak period by holding a kind of performative sculptural vigil where a single cellist played 
a tune which was composed by Beruz Buchani, who's a journalist and filmmaker and a, a man who's detained on Manus Island as a refugee. We played that song that he composed and from the cello there were uh, 50 red ribbons that emanated uh, in a diameter of 25 metres around that central point and about 300 people held those ribbons um, and listened to that tune that Beruz Buchani um, composed. <laughs> So all this to say that when we made these interventions we weren't just interested in holding placards and shouting slogans, we wanted to use our skills as artists, as theatre makers, as composers, as um, sculptors, as filmmakers, as photographers and create an image that was at once beautiful and impossible to ignore, that's tactical and moving at the same time. But at, at the same time as incorporating all those artistic elements, there's, there are also, there's also this incredible toolbox that activists have. There's incredible um, kind of practical guides and incredible theory that goes behind the work that activists do. And so we have folded a lot of that into our practice as well. In 1973, a political scientist called Jean Sharp wrote 198 Methods of Nonviolent Action, and it's an incredible resource. And I went through it the other week and tried to pair up artworks that did the same things as these nonviolent actions. So there's like number 30, rude gestures, Ai Weiwei, um, you know, making flags, um, sit ins wade-ins, um, you know, guerrilla theatre, um, then there's all the traditional ones like boycotts and strikes and things like that, but actually there's, there's a whole host of resources that are available to artists who are interested in politics and performance and embodiment that we could be accessing. People often talk about singular incidents and singular people when, when historicising change. So, for example, the way we talk about Rosa Parks in the civil rights movement. We talk about it as though she was just this solo agent who, who did this one action on the bus that changed everything. But she wasn't working alone and she didn't just do that. She was working within a community of people and with the support of people who were working with her and she didn't just do that. She was, that was one incident in a long line of of actions that she did and this one became the story that that was the focus of of her actions but i think we like to kind of pinpoint a leader and we like to pinpoint a moment and a line it's a way that we process these things and understand them but i think it's a bit artificial to think that that's how it works i think it it's a lot more organic than that and there's definitely different roles that people play. And I'm not saying that activism isn't without its leaders and that it's all anti-hierarchical, but I don't think one person by themselves can instigate change. And also I think that the more people who do step out of their comfort zone, the safer we all are. 
Capture podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The team would like to thank all our contributors and you for listening. Be with you next week.